A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. You're listening to Secure the Insecure, the podcast where I say it's okay to not be okay. I'm Johnny Sefer, and every week I'm joined by one very special guest who's here to educate you into the unknown. Joining me this week is a young girl who, aged 22 now, is marking 10 years since her father passed away when she was just 12 years old. Now, we started the conversation a couple of weeks ago with Jodie Matty, and we looked at the language of death. And I thought we should revisit it, because a lot of you said, how is it possible to move on and to keep living once you've gone through something so hard? And obviously, in recent weeks, we lost Caroline Flack. And a big thing there was the hashtag be kind campaign. But it's also about how do you open up those conversations? And a lot of people, celebrities, including Danny Cipriani, uh, Steph Davis came forward and said, I've been in that really dark place before where I wanted to die. But that was their story. But what about everyone around them? What happens when you actually do lose someone? Lauren Clementson joins me now to open up that conversation. Hello, Lauren. Hello. Let's go back to 2010. What led to your dad passing away? So uh, we had a really close-knit family. We were really, really a unit. We did everything together as a family. I was really close with my dad. Um, He was just such a family man. And in January 2010, my dad was diagnosed with pulmonary fibrosis of the lungs. And what does that mean? So his lungs were scarred, like the tissue in his lungs were scarred and essentially his lungs were deflated. Um, It's an incurable disease and the only way to cure it is to get a lung transplant. It took quite a lot of months to get diagnosed. The reason for that being is my dad used to be a heavy smoker when I was younger. So he used to smoke about a pack a day, which always really used to freak me out. I actually used to have a fear of my, I don't know why, but I just used to really fear that my dad would die. And I don't even know why but I think it was to do with like his age he was 11 years older than my mom and he was a massive smoker so I used to like throw his cigarette packets away I was just so scared it was going to damage him long term and then about a year before he died he just quit smoking that was something to do with uh, his friends like they kind of all made a pact and they were like let's just quit so they quit smoking uh, life was getting better and then come January 
well, I, I'd say about Christmas time in December, his breathing started getting bad. So he had always had like that smoker's cough. So I feel like for us, it wasn't like anything different. We didn't really notice anything different. And then um, his breathing, it was becoming incredibly hard for him to like walk up a hill or like walk up the stairs. And we were like, this isn't, this isn't normal. So my mom had taken my dad to the doctors on a number of occasions and they actually just came back to him they were like oh it's just probably to do with you smoking there's nothing to worry about but he said like I've quit a year ago this isn't normal I haven't felt this way in a year if anything like I have felt better so why is my breathing now deteriorating and it took months and months and months and I just remember like in January I was at school um, I think I stayed after school for like some sort of sports club and my mum came and picked me up and she had just let me know that my dad had been taken into hospital and I was so confused what was going on because I really didn't actually have an idea how serious the whole breathing issue was um, especially considering I'd ask my dad and I'd say what did the doctors say is everything fine and he would just say well the doctor said it's fine and that's just what I assumed as a 12 year old girl very naive I wasn't really taking in everything around me and I just remember I was so sad and so scared because as soon as you hear hospital you're like well it must be really serious if he's been taken to hospital and that night my mum just drove me to to the hospital Barnet General to see him which was just like down the road from where I was living at the time so it was really convenient and we got into hospital and the doctors still didn't really have an idea. Like there wasn't, they couldn't really pinpoint a diagnosis. Uh, they just said he's got like severe scarred tissues on his on his lungs and they couldn't really decide what it was. And I think it took a couple of weeks after that until they said he's got pulmonary fibrosis. And then we were like, okay, well, what's our options and they had said that the only option he would have is to go on the lung transplant list and just patiently wait we had obviously done a lot of research and we found out that like some people had lived with pulmonary fibrosis for like seven eight years so we thought okay you know if this is if it's going to take some time and it's not too urgent then you know at least we've got a few years to wait on the waiting list and I just kind of remember those three months were just the longest three months of my life going in and out of hospital I would actually get the bus from school in year eight um every day to the hospital after school I would have dinner at the hospital I would stay there really late and in between him staying at the hospital and staying at home you could tell he was declining his breathing in his breathing got to the point where, for instance, he would need a walking stick just because, just to help him walk to the shops or something. So it started off like that. Then it started off him walking up the stairs to go to his bedroom and that was becoming incredibly difficult for him. So then the doctors had given him an oxygen tank. So it was his, like a rucksack he would wear. The getting up the stairs was a real issue it would take him about 25 minutes just to walk up a flight of stairs in my house just because he would quite literally have to go up one step take a break go up another step we had ordered a bed for him to so he didn't have to come up and down the stairs and we were just gonna have to change a few things in our house just to try and moderate it for him so we had like some oxygen tanks delivered to the house that were kind of like 
automatically follow him around the house. He had promised me that he was going to get a lung transplant and that I, I actually had said to him, I was like, will you be able to play football again? Will you be, be able to play golf? Will you be fine? And he was like, yeah, that was all fine. And then he was taken back into hospital. And then I remember going to visit him on the Thursday. So he was meant to come home on the Friday. I visited him on the Thursday and he had a breathing mask on him, but he was just laughing and joking. He was up. He was making fun of the other patients. He was just being his usual self. And there wasn't really anything too too alarming that was worrying me. I just knew I was going to get him back on Friday. And then again, with hospitals, open-ended promises. Friday, they had said, you know, we just want to keep him overnight just to be safe. It came Saturday morning and my mum actually got a call from the hospital about 7am and I knew if the hospital calls you it's you know something something's happening and uh, they had just said my dad had really really declined in the night and that we should get to the hospital ASAP so my mum had called with the family together because my dad's side of the family lived at all different parts of England so we had to kind of rally them together and then by the Sunday he had passed away it was really shocking and really fast-paced and it was just a lot to get your head around, like how, you know, got diagnosed in the January. He was absolutely fine on the Thursday, but by the Sunday, he had died. Age 12, when you're going through this, firstly, did you fully understand what was going on? Were you told... Because you said that every step your mum was telling you things, but did you always know all the information or did she still try and protect you because you're still really young she protected me from a lot of things i actually found out a lot more things that had happened to my dad during his illness and especially in the last few days of his life that my mum had actually kept from us and only had told us like three or four years later after my dad had died so one of them being i actually didn't know they had come to the decision to take him off of life support. So I had just naively thought he had just passed away. But my mum had had the conversation with me a couple of years later to say, you know, the doctors actually on the Sunday took her in, into another room and had a conversation with her and said, my dad wouldn't survive without life support, especially in the state that I saw him in on the Saturday and Sunday. That was just really scarring. And now I know he wouldn't have been able to survive without life support at all, especially considering how my last memory was of him. And so they had to, basically the doctors were like, you know, you can keep him on life support, but how long are you going to keep him on life support for? And obviously my mum had to come to the very difficult decision that it was cruel to put my dad through this and had to take him off of life support. Ten years later, as an adult now, you're looking back and you were protected. Do you think you should have been part of those decision-making? So, for your mum, it's her husband. But for you, it's your dad. It's your daddy. Yeah, I don't. I think if I was older, yes, I would very much have a say. But I was, Alicia and I, my sister, uh, we were babies. We had, you know, we had no idea what was going on. There was an element of, when I originally was told, there was an element of I felt like I'd been lied to, like the full truth had, had never been told to me 
but I know it was in done in a protective way. But I felt like, as this was my dad, I should have known that he was being taken off of life support. I shouldn't have been hurried out of the hospital because my mum should have prepared me if she knew the last day I had visited my dad in hospital on the Sunday, this was going to be my last time with him. I should have said my goodbyes and I feel like I didn't. So there's that element of upset. But I also feel like I'm a 12-year-old girl. How am I going to give my opinion on this situation when I don't know what's going on. I'm just going to be selfish in the situation. I, I just want my dad alive, so I just want him to stay on life support so I can have him for longer. Watching movies, having a bigger imagination when you're younger, there was an element of hope. He could miraculously get better, so why would we take him off of life support? But I know ultimately it was an easy decision and it was done in the best way they could have done to protect my sister and I. So at home, you're obviously having a really bad time in the lead up to it. What were you like at school? Did you rebel? Did you act out? Were you, were you open about these conversations? So I had a very different group of friends during this period. We were very young to have the conversation, but I just remember coming into school when he had initially gone into hospital and breaking down to one of my friends and just crying and saying, I'm scared you know, he's gone to hospital, I don't know what's going to happen, and them just being, like, really amazing. I don't really remember any other conversations that I had apart from just, like, updating my friends on, like, what's happening in my life in terms of my dad. So I felt like I wasn't really much of a rebel until after my dad had passed away. I do think I rebelled a lot. Was that angry against society, angry that your daddy was taken from you? Yeah, I was really angry. And what did you do? So I'm not religious, but I'm, I believe in God. I've always believed in God. I've been brought up in a traditional Jewish household. I was really angry with God and we had to pray in the morning. We had to pray in the evening. And I just remember sitting there and our teachers going, you know, I want to see your lips moving. I want to see you praying. If you don't pray, you're going to get a detention. And I literally just stood there with my mouth shut. I was like making it obvious to the teachers I was not going to pray for a God that did not save my dad. I was so angry. I was incredibly angry. And I was so... I just had a lot of anger built up inside of me. I was angry with my mum. I started taking interest in boys. I was getting in, in that age and I was just like being really naughty, lying to my mum, doing all of that kind of stuff. But it was so soon after my dad, it was like I had a complete personality change. I changed my friends. It was quite crazy to see the girl. I was quite an insecure little girl before my dad had died to the rebel that I had kind of turned myself into after he had passed away. And I'm talking like, it took three weeks after my dad died for this change to happen. It just happened like that. What do you wish someone had said to you? It's going to be okay. I wish someone, I know you can't always predict your future, but I wish someone almost could have showed me how strong as a family we have come and just showing me that light at the end of the tunnel. I know no one can predict that, but just knowing that I'm going to get through this and I'm going to be a better person for it, which I do definitely think I have become. And I don't actually think I would be the person I am today if my dad didn't pass away. And who is that person? I'm a strong, confident woman. I... I'm very caring of other people. I push myself academically and in everything I want to make 
a successful life for myself and not be dependent on other people. I think that comes from my dad. My dad was such a successful, independent man and he was so warm-hearted and he was incredibly academic. He was honestly a genius. I think I took advantage of that because I wouldn't call myself an academic throughout primary school in the first few years at secondary school. Um, That was mainly because my dad would literally do everything. He would do all my homework for me. He loved it. Uh, He would do all my projects for me and he would just go to town and then he would take them into work and get it laminated. And he did everything and I just was not interested. And then it just really hit me that it was like I want to make him proud. I want to live in my dad's footsteps and, and, you know, just to see what an incredible man he was. I didn't want to just make some, just not make something out of myself and just be like that kid that my dad would be disappointed in and I just excelled my academics I really surprised myself academically I really did not believe that I would you know smash my GCSEs and A levels and even go on to university like that was a real surprise for me even my teachers they were so beyond surprised at my my results and everything and I do believe I have become a stronger and better person for it. I think that's also how I've gone down like different certain paths, like with my degree and and what I've chosen as a job um, and how I am with my friends today. What would you say to those friends right now who helped you those 10 years ago? At the time, I was incredibly thankful for them. And even now I still I still get their support. They they were so amazing. They they organised a scrapbook for me. I, I'll never forget it. I've still got it um in my cupboard. I actually always read it coming round to the anniversary of my dad. Uh they got a scrapbook, they got everyone in my whole year to write a message to me. Even people like didn't know me. And did you like that? Do you like people who didn't know you? Yeah. Saying something. I to love you? the support that I really you know, it 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 was the first time I almost got noticed and everyone, I, I'm, I mean, every Tom, Dick and Harry reached out to me on Facebook. That was like the only really social media thing we had at the time. All the dicks. <laughs> All was, the dicks came out yeah, for you. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I had everyone, you know, writing on my wall, inboxing me, going like, hey, you might not know me, but I just want to know that I'm here. And I just think that was you know to feel that level of support it really gives you hope like that really helped me get through it and I have never ever felt like I've never not been supported I have always been supported my friends now who came into my life in the end of year eight year nine so it was still before a year after my dad had passed they have been my absolute rocks I genuinely don't know where I'd be without them like they are absolutely incredible and we always love talking about my dad always it's just an open conversation they make it so comfortable for me how important was it to have that open conversation to get people talking and being honest with your friends straight away not seeing it as a stigma towards you i think it's really important because even now today i know my friends aren't scared to ask me like oh yeah wait lauren how did how did your dad die or um how old were you again or what did your dad used to do like they it's not like they're scared to speak about him because i was never scared to speak about him so it was like a mutual comfortableness you know they felt comfortable to talk to me i felt comfortable to talk to them and in the long run it's helped me become 
strong. I'm a strong person. I never needed therapy. I think talking is the best therapy, whether you go to a therapist or you speak to your friends. My friends were my therapist. You know, at the time I found it really difficult to talk to my mum, not because of anything in particular. I just, I think I became really cold towards her. I felt like I couldn't hug her. I couldn't cry in front of her. I couldn't really talk about my dad in front of her because I felt awkward. Whereas... Was that awkward that you were like, why is dad died yet you're still here mum or was it awkward that you wanted to protect her feelings because you knew she was hurting as well you I didn't think know how to help that her. i think that um that there was a huge element of if we would argue i would say really nasty things and be like i wish it was dad that was still here or like really horrible hurtful things but obviously i didn't mean that um, and yeah I was hurting I just wanted to hurt someone else but I think it was also like I found it awkward to cry to my mum about my dad when she had also lost him too and I feel like because my friends were like that external group of people outside of my situation you know they didn't have the direct hurt that me and my my mum and my sister and everyone else was feeling I felt like I could cry to them. The only people I would genuinely at the time break down to were my friends. I would, uh, we, I'd sit there, they'd hold my hands and we would just cry and cry and cry together and talk about him. And it was just so amazing. I just felt like that they were my safe space and they made it safe for me to talk about him. Your dad passed away 10 years ago. Two years later, your mum found love again. How did mm -hmm. you find that? It was really difficult. I knew my mum was a really young widow. She was just had turned 40. Um, and I knew that, you know, I knew at the back of my head, she's not going to stay single forever. Like, you know, she's a beautiful young woman. Why would she stay single forever? But it was always my fear, her meeting someone else, even... Even when my dad was alive, my one fear when I was a child, I don't I don't know why. I think this is the case with every child, but I was so scared my parents would divorce. They had the most happiest marriage. They were so in love. But of course, like all parents, they argued. If they argued, a child would think it's the end of the world. I was like, oh my God, they're going to get a divorce. But the one thing I feared about divorce is them being with other people. And I'll never forget when my mum, in the conversation when my mum had told my sister and I, that my dad had died the first question that came to my head that like I didn't even respond I just remember going to my mum are you going to meet someone new are you, you know who's going to be your boyfriend am, am I going to have a stepdad am I going to have step siblings I that was just the first thing that came to my head like I was just being really irrational but yes yeah, so I was really scared for that to happen but I was prepared and at first my mum had said you know that she was seeing someone and she really liked him and he had asked her to be his girlfriend how do you feel inside I was dying I really was hurting but I didn't want to be selfish so I was like that's amazing I'm so happy for you I was very good at hiding my feelings so as uncomfortable as I was I would have dinner with him whereas my sister who was really young she was nine when my dad had passed away so she might have been like 10 or 11 years old now she couldn't have dinner with my now stepdad she couldn't sit downstairs with him she wouldn't talk to him it was incredibly difficult and then 
I think the more I was seeing him, the more I was getting angry and upset. And it wasn't an easy time the first few years with him in our lives just because Alicia and I found it really uncomfortable and very hard to get used to. I just remember also my stepdad would leave our house late at night and he would say bye to my mum. My, my bedroom's by the front door so I can kind of hear everything going on in the hallway. And I knew obviously when they were going to say bye... They were going to kiss on the lips and I would sit in my bedroom and like cover my ears. I didn't want to hear it. I didn't want to see it. I didn't want to see my mum kissing another man. When was that moment that you accepted him? I just think my mum and my stepdad both grew up. I don't feel like my mum had really addressed grief properly. So it was quite a turbulent time, like in their relationship and in our household. And I just think no one was really getting on. And then... He just really, he had never been married. He had never had children and he had come into my my mum's life, tried to fix her broken heart after losing her husband. You know, my mum didn't get a divorce. She didn't choose this. She planned to be with my dad for the rest of her life. So it's really hard for him to come in and almost fill the shoes of my dad and try and be that better person, which was very hard to do. And also at the same time of never having children, take on these two children that has just lost their dad and they're going to be extremely hateful towards him. And he has just done an amazing job. He now... I'm an adult. We have all got an incredibly amazing and close bond with our stepdad. Now I see how amazing he was to do that. He accepted the fact he was never going to have children with my mum and he was fine. He adores me and Alicia like we are his children. He would do absolutely anything for us. And I can see that and I know that. It's taken a long time to get there. But me and Alicia really, really appreciate him. And by the point of them getting married last September, we were just so excited for them both. They just both absolutely deserved happiness and to be together. And I know my dad would be so, so happy he's in our life. Life after grief, 10 years on is what we're calling this episode. What would you like to say to your mum and stepdad now if they were listening? Thank you for getting us through the hardest moments of our lives i know it hasn't been easy we've had our ups and downs uh, but we've come out stronger as a family together and i'm just excited for our future as a new modern family unit lauren clementson thank you That was Lauren Clementson on Secure the Insecure. What an amazing girl. And to go through some really hard times and appreciate that it's not all going to be plain sailing. It's not all going to be easy. There are going to be hard times, but it does get better. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. It's not what you want it to be, but it does exist in some shape or form. You've been listening to Secure the Insecure with me, Johnny Seifert. If you like what you had, please do like the podcast, rate the podcast and subscribe to it. Please tell a friend. Every week I'm getting messages from you guys telling me that you've told someone and it's inspired them to change the way they think about their world or it's helped them to reach out to someone because that's the most important thing. Hashtag be kind we're campaigning for at the moment on social media. It is so important to reach out to those people that you think are hurting and actually say something to them, not just think it. I've been Johnny Seifert. You've been listening to Security and Secure. Until next time, thank you and goodbye.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.